name of Jesus. The word that was given today talked about perspective in the storm and lifting our eyes. And I want to take a moment and I want us to pray. If you're here today and you're in the midst of a storm, you know, I think of, I get the picture of the, the disciples with Jesus in the boat, in the storm, experienced fishermen in this storm felt like they were going to drown. And they woke Jesus up and Jesus just looks at them and says, where's your faith? And so if you're in the midst of a storm, that's not a condemning uh, word to you right now. That's an encouraging word. Where's your faith? Is your faith in your ability to get through that storm? Is your faith in your doctor's ability to navigate you through that storm? Is your faith in, in you or in something temporary? Is your faith in something beyond that? And we're gonna pray for that situation, whether that be a physical storm you're in, an emotional storm you're in, whatever the storm you're in, we're gonna pray for deliverance, breakthrough, healing, victory, whatever it is you need. And we're gonna pray for a perspective shift that you could lift your eyes to the one who can set you free. Grateful to doctors, grateful to uh, bankers, grateful to counselors, grateful to all of the people that help us in our lives, but there is one name above every other name. And that's the only name that can bring true healing and true victory and true breakthrough. You know, it's interesting, even when we uh, use medical science to bring healing or I should say remission to cancer, we still have to periodically go back and be tested to make sure we stay in remission. But with Jesus, there's no, I need to go back and make sure it stays and make sure it works because the power of the blood of Jesus Christ sets us free. And so I'm just gonna ask if you are here today and you need either healing, you need just deliverance, you need breakthrough, you're just in a storm of some kind. It could even be a storm of your own making. You say, I want, I need prayer. If that's you, I'm just going to ask that you just, I was just going to have you raise your hand, but I want you to come to the front. If you're in a storm, just come. Don't belabor it. Don't, don't wait. If you're in a storm, you know you're in a storm. Just come. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to say, hey, what storm are you in? Just come. Just say, I'm in a storm and I'm choosing to change perspective. I'm choosing to come to the one and that can set me free from this storm. I want you to come. If, you don't, if you're not in a storm, would you come and stand behind some of these that are here and begin to pray with them? And I'm gonna pray for all of us that are here. You know, I, I feel like life sometimes is just one storm after another. And so I'll be here. I want a perspective shift. If you're not in a storm, and the Holy Spirit is in you because you put faith in Christ, I'm gonna challenge you not to be in your seat right now. Be here behind somebody. Lay a hand on their shoulder and let's just begin to pray for them. If you feel led to ask them for what's going on or maybe you feel like the Holy Spirit puts a word in you to encourage them or strengthen them, I want you to do that. You don't have to pay attention to what I'm praying. You can do your own thing. Uh, Just be led by the Spirit in that. But I'm gonna pray for all of us And so, Father, I thank you today for the word you gave us. 
God, the word that is confirmed by your word, your truth, your character, your nature, that you are always involved in our lives. And even in the midst of storms, when it appears that you don't care and you're asleep in the bottom of the boat, or when it feels like you're not even present with us, or maybe it's just a mess we've made of our own lives and then condemnation comes in and we feel like we're just getting what we deserved from you. God, we know that's not true. That's not who you are, that you stepped out of time. You stepped out of heaven. You came to this earth when we were your enemies. When we were in our worst possible condition, you approached us, you came to us, and you gave yourself for us. And that reminds us today that you are with us in every storm of our lives. You gave your life for us. And that blood still has power today. That blood still delivers, it still heals, it still sets free for every one of us today. And so God, today we ask that you'd open our eyes to see that greater is he that is within us than he that's within the world. God, that there is absolutely nothing going on in our lives right now that you cannot overcome today by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I pray for healing, physical healing across this altar right now. God, that you would bring healing to physical bodies. Where there is pain, that you would bring relief. God, where there is discomfort, that you'd bring relief. God, where there's disease, that you would bring restoration right now in the name of Jesus. There is nothing that's impossible for you. God, I pray that you'd bring a stability to emotions right now. God, whether those, those emotions are out of order because of a, a physical, neurological disorder, or whether it's just, God, a, a result of our emotions, I pray that you would bring a stability right now across this altar. God, I pray that you would bring financial breakthrough. I pray, God, that you would bring strength to be obedient. I pray that you would bring grace right now across this altar, that you'd bring mercy right now across this altar. God, that you would restore in the name of Jesus. Let it be done. Let it be done. Let it be done. Hallelujah. Is there anyone here at the front that you just, you know whether you've had a physical problem or something you just know God has either spoken to you, touched you, healed you, that you say, and you wanna share, I'm gonna tell you now, I want you to share it with us. So if you don't wanna share it, don't raise your hand, but if you can say that God has just touched you right now, you know it, and you wanna share that with us just as a testimony, would you just say, hey, that's me, I wanna share, I wanna share what God did. Are you raising your hand? You're praising? Okay, good. Just checking. You keep praising. <laughs> All right. All right. You can be seated. Praise God. I am so grateful to God for his faithfulness to us. Um, kids, just stay put for just a second. Uh, we're going to dismiss you in a minute. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Justin, for sharing uh, today. When Justin shared, I felt like um, I, I skipped a part of our reading today that I feel like I need to go back to. Um, I don't know if I skipped it because I didn't want to read it or uh, if the Lord wanted it at the end, but he gives us some, some tips for falling down because sometimes when we're running this life, this race, we fall down. And here's what he says. If you fall down, fall forward, fall forward. Everyone at some point stumbles on the way to the finish line. Sometimes we fall over big. Sometimes we fall over little obstacles. But when you fall, just keep falling forward, okay? When you, get, when you fall down, get up. 
When you fall down, get up. I mean, everybody falls down physically, mentally, spiritually. Don't just lay there. Just get up. I mean, Proverbs says when a righteous man falls six times, he gets up seven. Okay, that doesn't just mean you get six chances. It means when you fall down, stand up more times than you fall down. And then number three, when you fall down, don't get up empty-handed. In other words, when you fall down, make something of that. Learn something from it, whether it's just in your character or whether it's from a mistake or whatever. But uh, that's in there, and uh, I just wanted to share those things with you. So we all fall, but we get up. All right, go ahead. We're going to dismiss our kids uh, for Children's Church. They've been anxiously waiting on the edge of their seats to be dismissed. Uh, If you are not a child and you are staying in the room with us, grab your Bible and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we've been in a series over the last uh, 22 weeks or more. Uh, It's actually been more than that because we started in September of last year going through the book of Hebrews. And uh, we've taken some breaks for different things for Easter and for um, Christmas, for the Advent season and for special guests that we've had. Uh, Great word from our our missionary friend last week that was in service with us and uh, just enjoyed that. But this week we're going to continue through the book of Hebrews. We're going to pick up here in verse 14 in just a second. And I've entitled this a cut above, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. In fact, I'm going to read the entire passage to you, and then I'm going to kind of explain. I wouldn't need to explain. If you were all good Jewish people, you would understand everything I'm going to say. But because we're not, and maybe we don't understand what he's doing, because he's writing to Hebrews, to Jewish Christians who were discouraged because they put faith in Christ. They turned their back on the old covenant and put their faith in Christ, but it wasn't working out like they had hoped. And so he's trying to encourage them, don't give up, okay? Keep pressing in. And we we went through Hebrews 11 and we looked at these people of faith and we learned from them and we talked about the things, the perspective shift that needs to take place in our lives. And we've looked at all those different things uh, over the last couple of weeks. But um, what I want to look at today uh, is these two things in verses 14 through uh, 17. So we're going to come back to that after we kind of lay the foundation. So I'm just kind of letting you know that's where we're going so you don't get nervous or think I skipped over something that you thought was really good. So let's start reading verse 14. We're going to read through this. I'm probably going to stop at some point because it's really good. And I'll have to elaborate on it or say amen or something. But here's what he says. In fact, before I start, let me remind you that we, we're in a race. Remember, that's what the beginning of this is. And so we got to just keep pressing on. We got to fix our eyes on Jesus, keep running the race that he set in front of us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so let's, if you're tired, remember we ended this with, if you're tired, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees and just keep running. And do you remember how we do that? In his presence. We got to learn to be in his presence regularly, every moment of every day. We got to learn to live there. Okay, I love times of worship, but if this is the only time you are in the presence of God in a week, I bet you're having a miserable life. I'm just guessing. 
okay? Because we need to be in his presence. And I just shared with our Sunday school class this morning when we were talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and the prayer language we get. And I notice a difference in my own life. When I regularly pray in the Spirit, I notice that I'm able to overcome temptation better. I'm able to just run my race better when I'm in his presence more. And you would think that I would see that and that would cause me to do that more, but it doesn't always. I mean, sometimes I still just, I fall short of that. But that's an encouragement to us to just learn to be in his presence all the time. So, do that. And then verse 14, listen. Work, that's not a four-letter word, even though in our culture some people think it is. Work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. That's a key verse, and we're going to come back to it. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Now, it's possible to fail to receive the grace of God, or he wouldn't have said that. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now, again... If it wasn't possible for a poisonous root of bitterness to grow up in your life and mine, he wouldn't have put this in there. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. Okay, now this happened, book of Exodus in the Old Testament, he's referring back to something that every one of them would have been familiar with. They staggered back under God's command. God literally spoke. I know Charlton Heston took the Ten Commandments down from the mountain. You know, those of you, some of you are like, who in the world is Charlton Heston? And some of you are impressed that I knew that. And so he brought them down. But God, in Exodus 20, spoke the Ten Commandments, and all of Israel heard it. And it had all of this stuff. Thunder, lightning, the mountain trembled. And I don't know about you, but if you were at a mountain when there's at the top was flames shooting up like a volcano and there was rumbling, how many of you would just stand there and be like, I mean, I watched videos this week of storm chasers going after tornadoes and I'm like, dude, that thing is close. Get out of there. So maybe you're like that, but these people are standing there. God is thundering these words at them and it's causing them to be afraid. And so they step back. This is what he's referring to. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Okay, you would think it would say they would die, but it wouldn't die, but it had to be stoned. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight, he said, I'm terrified and trembling. I mean, even Moses, the guy that went up the mountain. No, you didn't come to a physical mountain, verse 22. You've come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who's the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who've now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. I wish we had like hours to go through all of that and talk about what that means, but we just don't. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful. That's a key word we're going to come back to. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. And so, Father, I ask today that you would open our hearts and minds to understand your word. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through this word and bring change to our lives in the way that we think, in the way that we talk, in the way that we live. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, as we learned last week in Africa, it's very rude to drink when people that you're with don't have anything to drink. But thank God this is America. <laughs> Where everything we do is rude and it's just okay. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it is. Our culture is so rude, it's not even funny. But sometimes we don't even realize we're being rude until you go to another country and you're like, wow, we are so rude. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about this superior covenant. Remember in the book of Hebrews, he has gone through great detail to show us how the new covenant through Jesus is way superior to the old covenant where we had to bring the blood of animals to sacrifice. And remember when Cain killed his brother Abel, Abel's blood cried out from the ground for vengeance. Cain had to be punished for shedding his blood. But the blood of Jesus doesn't cry out for our punishment the way Abel's blood did. It gives us forgiveness. It brings us life. I mean, this is, it's so powerful what he's saying. But what happens, or what he's saying here ultimately is, our response to this new covenant should be far superior than the response of the old covenant. But here's the problem. It's, it's easy for us to be tempted to respond lesser to the new covenant because it's easier. Because we no longer have to take animals to the temple to sacrifice. We no longer have to go through the law and pay diligent attention to the laws and make sure we don't break any of them because the blood of Christ covers us, remember, from beginning to end. Salvation is ours. He's the beginning and the end of our salvation. I don't do good things so that I can still get to heaven. I don't, his blood gets me there. His blood alone. 
Okay, and now my response to that could be a little bit of laziness. Well, you know, since the blood of Jesus, you know, covers all of my sin, past, present, and future, it really doesn't matter how I live. I could respond a little bit lazier. And what he's saying is, do not do that. You, in the new covenant, should even pay more attention to what God has spoken. Because he didn't speak through Moses, who went up to the mountain and came back down and said it to the people. He's speaking by himself through his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is God. And if he comes and speaks to us, that's God himself. So we ought to pay even more attention, even though we didn't go to a physical mountain. You know, there's not an earthquake. There's not all these things to, you know, give us goosebumps and good feelings or make us be afraid. Because of that, we have, we're tempted to be lazy. We're tempted to think, you know, how I live now in response to this covenant, you know, well, it's, it's not as big of a deal as it was back then. It's a bigger deal. And that's what he's trying to get across to them. Not to put fear in your heart. Not to say, oh man, if I screw up today, God. Okay, first of all, if Jesus came to us at our worst, what could you possibly do today that would make him want to smite you? You can't get any worse than your worst. But there is a danger in taking it for granted. There is a danger, remember we talked about trampling on the blood of Jesus, ignoring that great salvation that's come to us. Because the moment we come to Christ, an exchange takes place. The moment I put faith in what he's done, I trade my life. And remember, all that I get for my life is eternal separation from God in hell. That's all I get. That's what I've earned because of breaking God's law. But I've traded my life for his. And so now my choices are no longer mine, they're his. My thoughts are no longer mine, they're his. I have the mind of Christ. But here's the thing, the mind of Christ doesn't always come to the surface in my brain. Sometimes my flesh comes to the surface, but I take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to his, to the mind of Christ. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to illustrate. And so I don't have time to go into great detail to what all of that means, Mount Zion and the, the city of angels and all of these things, but it's an illusion. What he's doing is metaphorically saying, you know, you haven't come to a physical mountain, you've come to a spiritual mountain. But don't think that that spiritual covenant is in any way lesser to the one where you could see it with your natural senses. We think that our natural senses are superior to spiritual things. As Americans, that's what we think. You got to show me or I'm not going to believe it. We're like the only culture of the world that thinks that way. Most cultures believe in the spiritual realm and believe that the spiritual realm is superior to the physical realm. And because of that, many times they have encounters with demonic forces in ways that we don't. That doesn't mean demons don't work here in America. They just work a whole lot more logical because they, they're smart, they do what they're given. And so they don't need to out, outwardly frighten us like they do in other cultures, they just subtly come alongside and deceive us. They trick us, okay? But in other cultures, they also see healings. People today in other cultures are being raised from the dead in the name of Jesus. Why? Because those cultures believe the spiritual realm is superior to the physical. We don't. 
We are a highly sophisticated culture of unbelief. That's what we've become. And because of that, we have a hard time believing spiritual things. But the spiritual realm is superior to the physical. Now, when I have a physical problem, I don't have to live in denial. I don't have to say, I do not have a physical problem. Yes, I do. I have it. But the spiritual realm is superior to my physical realm. So I look to the spiritual realm. I look to God. I look to what his word says. And I go after that realm, not the one I can see. Does that make sense? And so that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to show them metaphorically, don't trust in the old covenant because you could see it. Trust in the new covenant even though you don't yet see it all. I mean, that's a powerful analogy. And so we're not to be lazy and we're not to be indifferent. We're to work. Remember, the passage started with the word work. We sometimes think grace equals effortlessness. That's what we think. We think that the grace of God means I don't have to apply any effort. I am saved by grace. It's effortless. And so I am kept by grace. It's effortless. And that's a wrong theology. Now I'm going to clearly tell you again that our good works do not add to our salvation at all. Okay? We are saved once and for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. He, in that moment, made perfect, completely perfect, every one of us in this room who are being made holy. We've already talked about that one, Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to hear that one, go back to the podcast and go back and listen. But again, we sometimes take that as an excuse to be lazy. I wish I had the time to read for you today all of Romans chapter 6, but I don't because you guys want to go eat lunch. So later this week, read Romans 6, but here's a part of it. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. That doesn't mean we don't have the ability to sin. It means we have been given power to choose not to sin. Before Christ, we were powerless to stop. But because of Christ, we have the power to stop. Don't you realize that you become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? I know we think that when we sin, we can stop anytime we want to. But that is not the way sin works. When you sin, when you align with the enemy, you give him access rights to your life. And until you repent or confess that sin to God, he has free access to your life. The way to close the door is to repent. That doesn't just mean admit it, it means turn from it. And you've been given grace, the power of God to do that. So you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. 
Verse 19, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. But now you must give yourselves to be slaves of righteousness, of righteous living, so that you will become holy. We're going to come to that word in a little bit. Okay, even though we've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are becoming holy in practice in our lives. And we'll talk about what that means. But I want to look at verses 28 and 29, and then we're going to go back to verse 14 and look at work. Verses 28 and 29, I disagree with the, re- the New Living Translation that I just read to you. I don't think they did a very good job of telling us what that means. Because they said, remember the word thankful? Let us be thankful. That word thankful is the Greek word charis. The Greek word charis, more than 50% of the time that that is in the New Testament, is translated grace. Okay, so if you have a word that could be translated two different ways, you have to kind of look at the context. I do not believe the writer gets to the end of this passage and says, as a result of everything we've just read, let's be thankful and worship God. I believe he says what the New King James says. The New King James, when it translates it, look at what it says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, charis. Not let us be thankful. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. Now, the the New Living that we read said, let us be thankful and worship God. The word worship also means serve. It doesn't mean slow song with your hands in the air. It means to serve God. So a part of worship can be praising, okay? But that's not all of it. Worship is giving your life to God as a sacrifice. That's worship. So if we're going to respond to God in a way that pleases Him and honors Him, it's not just about being thankful. It's about taking His grace which is not just a covering of my sin, but it's an empowerment to not sin. And I think that's what this context is pointing to. I think that everything the writer of Hebrews has just said, because he says, work, work, work. You haven't come to a physical mountain, you've come to a spiritual mountain. And so because of that, you're receiving a kingdom that's superior, one that can't be shaken. Okay, and as a result of that, God has given you his grace. So take that grace, which remember some of us could miss. We've got to watch out for each other that we don't miss God's grace. So take that grace and serve God acceptably because he's a consuming fire. Meaning, God is still holy and awesome. And so just because there's no mountain shaking doesn't mean God has changed. He's still holy and awesome. And we should reflect him in the way that we live. Meaning, we should be holy as God is holy. Let me show you from Ephesians chapter 2, lest you think I'm crazy. God saved you by his charis, his grace, when you believed. You don't take credit for that. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, gave us his grace so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We don't do the good things that he planned for us long ago so that we can be made new. 
We do them because we have been made new. Glad nobody sits real close. Does that make sense? You've been given the grace of God. You've become a child of God so that you can do the good things that God has called us to do. So let's go back. What are these good things? He's, he only gives us two things that we have to do. <laughs> How many of you know there's probably more than two? But he gives us two right here. The first one he says is he says, work at living in peace with everyone. Work. It means that you have to have effort applied. Okay, the word work, I mean, unless you go to work and you get paid to just sit and sleep, you put in some level of effort at your job, all right? And if you don't, you're not working. Some of you work at a desk, some of you work by standing, some of you work with your hands, some of you work on a computer, but you all work. Work at living in peace with everyone. It doesn't say just pray for grace to fall so that you can live in peace with everyone. Now, God does give us grace to live at peace with everyone. But that doesn't mean it doesn't take effort on our part. How do we live at peace with everyone? Well, Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, forgive others as Christ forgave you. He says, if you don't love your neighbor who you can see, you don't love God. See, we have a temptation to make our love for God a religious activity. I love God, I give in an offering. I love God, I attend church services. I love God, I do these things. But the depth of our love for God is proved by the width of our love for others. The depth of our love for God is proved by the width of our love for others. How well we are working to live at peace with others. We're going to talk about that, but then the other one that he says is work at living a holy life. Well, Jesus, thank goodness, makes us holy by his blood, but we have to work at living a holy life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes these words, you must live as God's obedient children. Okay, when you put faith in Christ, you immediately become a child of God. You, be, you are made holy, you are a child of God. But now, you must live as an obedient child. Don't slip back into the old ways, living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know better then. But now you've been given grace, you've been given the mind of Christ, you know better. But you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Now that word holy does not mean what clothes you wear. That word holy does not mean what music you listen to. That word holy does not mean uh, what type of movies you watch or how long your hair is or whether you smoke or whether you drink or whether you swear. That's not holiness. Holy does not mean I attend church. Holy does not mean I dress up for church. And we used to say that, that was holiness. And here's the thing. We used to dress up and go to church, but we didn't treat anybody right. Well, that's not holiness. Because while we were his enemies, this is how he treated us. And if we are his children, we will imitate him. That's holiness. That word holiness is literally a term that means to be a cut above. A cut above. Think of it in terms of meat. 
Maybe you like ground beef. Maybe you like ground steak. Or maybe you prefer a cut above a ground steak. Maybe you prefer uh, a sirloin steak. Or maybe you prefer a cut above that and you prefer a ribeye steak. Some of you are like, well, maybe that's not a cut. Or maybe you prefer a tea. And here's the thing. You pay more for a cut above. It's worth more. Same thing with fabric. If you buy a cut of fabric, you can buy cheap fabric or you can buy a cut above that. You can buy more expensive fabric. That's holiness. You want to buy a cut above. You want to buy a holy piece of fabric. <laughs> not with holes in it. A cut above. Okay? Gems are the same way. A lesser cut, you cheaper, higher cut. The scripture says God's ways are a cut above higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So when we come into faith with Christ, we come to a cut above. We no longer think our thoughts. We no longer do what satisfies our desires. We live a cut above that. Now that may mean changing what I wear. It may mean changing how I talk. But it definitely means changing how I treat people. I treat them a cut above. I love my enemies. I bless those who curse me. Why? Because I've been made a child of God and I am going to imitate my father. It says it in Hebrews, Ephesians chapter 5. Imitate God in everything you do as his obedient children. You're his children. Imitate him. Look at what he says. Live a life filled with love. You are his children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. What did he do? He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us. So in every human encounter you have, here's what you do. You love them like Christ. Even being willing to offer yourself, your preference, your desire as a sacrifice for them. That's, that's how we know the depth of our relationship with God. Then he says, don't be sexually immoral. By the way, immoral in that passage for Esau is sexually immoral. It's the same word. Don't be sexually immoral or impure or greedy. Those have no place in God's people. So two things we're called to do. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. So let's take just a few minutes and let's look at this. If you're going to work at living in peace with everyone, it's going to take effort. Yes, we pray. Yes, God gives us grace. But that grace is a special ability to do the hard stuff. When Jesus says, here's some scripture references. You can take a picture of them. You can write them down. You can look them up later. But these are some scriptures that Jesus gives us. And he says, I desire that you show mercy and not sacrifice to me. In other words, when someone deserves your wrath, I would rather you give them mercy, withhold that wrath that they deserve, than to offer me all your sacrifices, than to bring tithes and offerings, than to lift your hands in worship. He's not saying don't do those, but he's saying, you know what? If you're going to tip the scales in, in favor, give people mercy. In fact, in Matthew 5, 7, he says, blessed are those who show mercy because they'll be given mercy. In the scripture, we're taught if we're not merciful to others, it limits the mercy we receive from God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty imperfect. 
uh, grateful for the blood of Christ that covers my mistakes before I make them even. And I need a lot of mercy from God. But I don't like to give mercy to people. I know, you're all shocked. You're like, you're, <gasps> you're a pastor. I know, and I'm just telling you what you are too. Uh, this, is, this is our human nature. We don't like to give people mercy, but we love to receive it. You can't. You can't. And you can be deceived into thinking you can. You can sit in a church pew all your life and think you're receiving mercy from God and not because you refuse to give it to others. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Love your enemies. Honor one another above yourself. Deal with the bitter root that springs up to defile many. It's sickening that in the body of Christ, we all have stories of people who got bitter in the church and walked away. There's, there's no grace or power of God in that. The grace of God enables us to deal with our bitterness. And before you think that mercy means I just ignore what people do to me, that's not it at all. Okay, mercy does not mean I ignore situations and I don't deal with them. Because the scripture teaches us to bear with the faults of others, but it also says if you see your brother in sin, go to them and work it out with them. Now, mercy means how I go to you. Whenever I'm being merciful to you, it doesn't mean I just don't, I don't even tell you that you hurt my feelings. I don't go to you and try to like correct the situation. Mercy means I don't come to you trying to get back what you took from me. Mercy means I don't come to you to try to scold you for being a certain way to me. Mercy means I come in humility. Mercy means I understand I've treated others that way and I'm gonna treat you this way, but I know that this is something that you need to deal with and I need to deal with so that we can be reconciled in right relationship with each other remember the the passage of scripture from hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 look out for one another so that no one misses the grace of god if i only if i just ignore all of your flaws and pretend they don't exist am i looking out for you and i know all of you are like well pastor tom i just don't do well with confrontation who does sinners I mean, sinners are great at confrontation. We give people a piece of our mind. We give them what they deserve. But we can't do that in the body of Christ. Because if we give them a piece of our mind, it better be the mind of Christ, not my mind. And so we humble ourselves. We honor others as better than ourselves. And we confront people even if we don't want to be. Jesus said these words. Blessed are the peacemakers, or God blesses those who work for peace. Peace doesn't just happen. We don't just pray for peace. We do pray for peace, but we got to work for it also. And there's a difference between being a peacekeeper and being a peacemaker. Peacekeepers just ignore stuff and pretend it's not there. Peacemakers deal with it. Let me tell you a story. There's a guy who wants to recarpet his house. So he says to his wife, I can do this. I can do it on my own. But he's one of those guys, like me, doesn't do well at fixing stuff. And his wife is like, just save yourself the trouble and hire it done. I can do it. I can do it. So they get into a fight, but he, he wins. He's going to do it. So he gets the carpet. He gets all the stuff. He lay, starts laying the carpet. He lays the carpet. It's all done. He's, he's amazed that he was able to do it because he was a little worried. 
And he steps back to admire his work, and he's pretty impressed. And he notices a bubble in the middle of the floor. He stops and he tries to think, what do I do about that bubble? And so while he wants to wait, okay, he reaches in his pocket. He's a smoker, and he wants to pull out a cigarette. And he realizes he doesn't have a cigarette, and he's like, oh, my cigarettes fell out while I was laying the carpet. Now my wife's going to see it, and she's going to know she was right. And so he has an idea. He's going to get a hammer, and he's going to go over, and he just pounds on that thing, and he just levels it. You can't even tell. You can't even tell. And so he goes in the kitchen, says to his wife, Honey, I laid the carpet, and it looks great. So she dries her hands. She's doing dishes. She comes out. She looks around. Like, Honey, I, I apologize. I'm, you have done a great job. And this, thanks. You've saved us some money, and I'm just so impressed. He's like, well, thank you. He's like, well, I think I'm out of cigarettes, so I'm going to run to the store and grab a pack of cigarettes. She's like, oh, no, your cigarettes are out on the kitchen counter, but have you seen the parakeet? (laughs) See, whenever we think we can just hide it, it always has a way of coming out. And sometimes when we... We try to just ignore it, and we're like, no, I'll just ignore it. I know that person hurt me, but I, I don't need to deal with it. I'm going to be a peacekeeper. I don't want to mess anything up. I mean, I don't want to rip that carpet up and make a big deal. I don't want them to be right. I just, I'm just going to pretend like nothing's wrong. It always has a way of making the situation worse. Now, I don't know how the parakeet might have already been dead by that time, but certainly wouldn't have made the situation as bad. Now, hopefully he admitted, I don't know the rest of the story, but maybe Paul Harvey will tell us someday. But again, work at living in peace with everyone. That sometimes means we have to deal with stuff that happens. I mean, the Bible says as long as you are human beings on the planet, you're going to have the opportunity to be offended with each other. Don't be one of those people that runs and mouths off to everybody else. Don't be one of those people that just hammers that thing down and you're like, I'll just pretend it's not there. Really deal with our stuff. Deal it with, in it with an honoring, humility type of way where we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Work at living at peace with everyone. The second one that he says, work at living a holy life. Work at living a holy life. Here's some scriptures for you to write down. We're not gonna take time to go through them all again, but again, if you're gonna beat an addiction in your life, it's not just about praying. It's about praying and working. It's, if you're going to take your thoughts captive, it's not just about praying, God, help me take my thoughts captive. You better get in this book too so you know the, the, the mind of Christ so that you can work at taking your thoughts captive. That means that tomorrow, or maybe not tomorrow, maybe in the car on the way home, some thought is going to come to your mind or some word is going to come to the edge of your lips and you're going to choose to either take it captive by the power of the grace of God or you're going to let the mindset of, well, nobody's perfect. Well, you know, thank goodness for grace that just covers up my mistakes. Or you're going to come to a new level of living where you say, I have been given power to stop living this way. I can control the words that come out of my mouth. I can stop slandering and gossip. I know I'm German, but I can control my temper. I know that I'm Norwegian, but I can get zealous for God. 
because I've been given the power of God. I've been given the spirit of God. And so we're gonna come up to a higher level of living or we're just gonna say, well, you know, I'm just content. And all of those passages go through the types of things that should not be a part of our lives. Now, again, even as we work out our salvation, even as we start imitating God in our thoughts and in our behaviors, the blood of Christ covers us. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I don't have to sit and wallow and be like, oh, I just keep making these same mistakes over again. I'm such a terrible person. I have to pay my penance. I have to, oh, God, I'm just gonna feel bad for a couple hours and then you can forgive me. I mean, I had this brilliant thought just the other day. I was sitting at home, had to be God. Um, it was so profound. I was sitting at home, I had just gone for a run and I was sitting there stretching when I got back and uh, it dawned on me, when God says he forgives us, he forgets. So the next time I sin, I think, man, I keep doing this. But if I have genuinely repented and sought the grace to turn from that and have made steps to turn, God doesn't remember. I'm just like, that's so life-altering. I know that you're like, well, that's not very profound. I know, but think about it. He forgets. He's not like, why do you keep doing that? It's like the first time. I mean, if we are truly justified in Christ, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Like, that's so freeing. It doesn't free me to just live haphazardly, but it frees me to live according to my Father's character without carrying around loads of guilt and condemnation. I just loved it. So he comes to the end of the passage again. Work at living, let's look at these verses. Work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you corrupting many make sure that no one is sexually immoral you know the reason that sexual sin is so terrible and for Esau Esau's wives his sexual immorality led him to other sin okay so that's why he says don't be sexual immoral don't just do what feels right don't trade your birthright as a firstborn son for a single meal don't do that don't sell yourself short come up to a higher level of living expect a higher level of living and then live it out. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That makes a whole lot more sense then let's just be thankful in worship. I mean, let's be thankful in worship too, but let's have grace to live a different life, to treat people better than they deserve, to live to a higher level of living. And so step one, with all of this in mind, if you're here today and you've never made that exchange that I've talked about, you've never put faith in the sacrifice Christ made for you, you need to make that exchange. You can't do any of this until you do that. Until you come to the cross and say, I have no way of living up to God's standard of who he is, his holiness, his character. Can't do it. And so I need what Christ did for me. 
And that love, that blood covers us so that we are instantly made perfect before God. And then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and the grace of Christ to live that out, to imitate our Father in our relationships and in every part of our lives. And if you've never made that exchange, that's where you start. I'm gonna ask this question. I'm doing it backwards altar call right now. If you have made that exchange and you say, I have come to the cross, I have put faith in Christ, and I, I have exchanged my life for his, raise your hand. That's me. I have done that. That's a lot of hands. Okay, you put your hands down. If you've never done that, and you maybe put your hand up because you didn't want to be like, no, you're not tricking me. <laughs> the reason I did that wasn't to trick you was that to show you how many people in this room want you to make that exchange. So if you've never made that exchange, or maybe you've made that exchange somewhat, and today you say, you know what, I really haven't made that exchange, and you need to make it, that's where it starts. If you've made that exchange, it's time to come up to a cut above. It's time to stop being a ground beef Christian, ground sirloin Christian. It's time to be a T-bone steak. In fact, there's a cut above that. We don't even have it on earth. His ways. And so, Father, I thank you that while we were your enemies, you died for us. While we were at our worst, you came to us. We would never have come to you. You came to us. Jesus, thank you for willingly coming to this earth not only to take the punishment for us, but to give us an example so that we can follow in your steps. Thank you that when we make that exchange, you don't hold it against us. That when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That you don't remember our mistakes. And so Father, today, I pray that you would help each of us to come up to your level of living in the way that we treat other people, in the way that we live out our lives, in the area of sexual immorality, in the area of any type of impurity or greed. God, to be faithful as your obedient children, to display your character. Thank you that you've given us the grace, the power to do that. And thank you that we can do that without guilt condemnation if you're here today and you have never made the exchange of your life for his you've never repented of your sin you never have admitted your need for Christ's sacrifice and today you say I want to do that I want to make that exchange you remember how many hands already went up so you don't have to be afraid this is a place nobody's going to judge you for that I don't care if you've attended church here for 50 years or more. If you've never made that exchange and you say, today I'm making that exchange, would you slip up your hand and say, today I'm making that exchange and I want to pray for God to exchange his life for mine. Just slip up your hand, put it back down, say, that's a prayer I'm praying today. Anyone else? I hope everyone in this room has made that exchange. 
I'm guessing if you're like me, some area of your life, whether it be the way you treat others, the way you respond to others, maybe a lack of mercy, maybe there's some things you don't deal with and maybe maybe you slander, maybe you gossip instead of doing what the Bible says. Maybe when you do confront, you don't confront in a spirit of humility, you confront with guns blazing. Maybe it's sexual immorality, maybe it's impurity, maybe it's greed. And I'm not just talking about behavior. If you, if you have done something wrong and you have confessed that, repented of it, turned from it, it's not hanging over your head today. But what I'm talking about is you have a mindset that just expects that. What you say is, you know, I, I know nobody's perfect. God's just going to forgive me. There's just grace for that. And you're looking at grace as a cover-up and not as an empowerment. And you need to come up to a new level of living in relationships or in your life. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand and say, hey, I'm coming to another level of living. I'm looking for a cut above today. Changing my mind. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lots of people. That's us. That's a prayer I'm praying today. I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and we're going to dismiss you, give you a chance to leave. If you raise your hand and you need to deal with that, I want you to deal with that before you leave. So I want to encourage you either to come to the front, to stay in your seat, but just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to work that through in your heart, what that looks like, what needs to change, what's he pinpointing? You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't give us a list of 50 things that we need to change this week. He generally starts with one or two. That doesn't mean we don't have 50. It just means he's a manageable God. And so he'll give us what we can handle. And so ask him, what do I need to change? Where do I start? Maybe you need prayer from someone else. And so as I close in prayer, the prayer team is going to join me here in the front. And we're going to make ourselves available if you want someone to pray for you. For any reason, anything you need, as I dismiss the service today, we'll be here for you. We want to give you that opportunity to come and have someone pray for you for whatever reason before you leave today. And so, Father, thank you again for your word. It's a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path. It shows us how to live. Holy Spirit, help us to take the words that you've spoken to us today and apply them to our lives. I ask that over these next few moments that you would speak clearly to each of us and show us that area that needs to change in our thinking, in our behavior. Maybe something needs to be removed, something needs to be added to our lives. Guide us in that. Now I pray, Lord, that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd keep them. I pray that you'd cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to this body and that you'd give them peace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, our prayer team is here in the front. If you need prayer, we'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you as you go today.